Well, good morning, Faith Church. Glad to be with you again sharing the word of the Lord. Uh, to our visitors coming from the Ligonier Alaska cruise, expecting to see the famous Mark Jones, you will have to come again and visit some other time. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to the first chapter of Luke, a text we already read earlier. Uh, we're going to be looking at the angelic prophecy given to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and verse 33. And I figure if last week Mark can have us sing angels we have heard on high, in the middle of early summer we can surely preach on a text that is usually reserved for the month of December. So Luke 1 and verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your favor to be upon us as we look at your word, that you will shine the light of Christ into our hearts that you will open our eyes to get, catch a greater glimpse of his glory, the glory of our great risen king, that we would see it and sense it in a new way, that it would affect our hearts in a new way, and that we would be encouraged and motivated to live in light of this great king and to live as part of his kingdom. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, really, no matter where you are in the world, people like to complain about the government. This party gets in, people complain. That party gets in, people complain. Uh, you see it wherever you go. And really, here it's no different, but I think we often forget just how good we have it. Uh, people really go to great strides and efforts to come into our country uh, people come, we see them on rickety old boats overpacked crossing oceans to come to this nation. We see people crossing deserts to come into America through its southern border. Um, I heard recently that there's been thousands of deaths of people seeking to cross the Sonoran Desert to come into America, seeking to flee to a better life. Um, most of us have never experienced what it's like to live in a lawless country where there's chaos and anarchy and fear. There's no law. There's no order. It's a fearful way to live. Um, in just a small way, this was illustrated to me. We have family friends from South Africa who moved here a few years back, and they, like all new BC residents, decided to go skiing for the day. And they came home from a day on the slopes, and their hearts sank when they drove up and realized that they had left their garage door open. And they were 100% certain that everything in the garage was going to be cleared out, stolen, swiped, and they came back, and not a thing was gone. And they just couldn't believe it, that there is such restraint still, even here in the Lower Mainland, that they had not had one thing stolen from leaving their garage door open all day. Truly, we do rejoice when there is good law, there is good order in society. And today we're looking at not just a good government, but a perfect Government, the government of King Jesus and his kingdom, uh, the true utopia. And as we look at that today, I trust that our hearts will be encouraged. As we look at this text, um, I want us to see four points as we walk through it that Jesus is a saving king. 
Jesus is a great and divine king. Jesus is an appointed king, and he's an eternally reigning king. So let's start in verse 31. Jesus is a saving king. The angel says to Mary, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. God had a specific name he wanted to give to his son, which was announced by the angel to Mary. The name Jesus was chosen not because it was a unique name. Actually, Jesus was a very common name in that day. Um, Through the translation process, it's come down to us in a different form. But it really is the name Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. So we see the angel bearing the message of the Lord chose this name not because of its uniqueness, but because of its meaning. And this is a meaning that he even brings out and elucidates to Joseph in a dream. The angel uh, tells Joseph in Matthew 121, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the name of this king, this saving king, Jesus. He's going to be the very embodiment of the meaning of his name, that Jehovah is salvation. Not just that Jehovah is going to bring salvation, but in this child, we will see the salvation of God. Christ did not bring just a salvation that was a deliverance from Roman oppression, but truly he saved us from sin and from the penalty of sin through his sacrificial death, not through military might, but by his perfect obedience and suffering on our behalf. Truly he's a saving king as his name declares. And Jesus is also a great and divine king. We see this at the start of verse 32 where it says, And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And a few verses later we see the angel tell Mary that the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. This is what makes Jesus great. Jesus is great in his divine nature. He truly is God's only begotten son come to earth. He is the fulfillment of that prophetic name, Emmanuel, God with us. God in a form that's approachable and gentle that we can see and comprehend. God in the Lord Jesus Christ. As he declared, he took God's divine name. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He is the Lord Jehovah. He is Jehovah's salvation. But Christ isn't just great in his divine nature. And I think we often forget that Christ is also great in his human nature. Uh, That famous incarnation passage in Philippians chapter 2 speaks of Christ, his humbling himself, his taking the form of a servant, his being born in the likeness of men, this great act of his. And the response in verse 10, it says that therefore, in light of Christ's humiliation, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. We sometimes forget that Christ was the greatest man who ever lived. Um, It is World Cup right now, for those who follow that sort of thing. And there is a debate between two players, Messi and Ronaldo, about who is the greatest of all time. And they both have their merits, and they are working this World Cup. If one could win, that might be the feather in the cap to 
tip them over the line to get what some label the GOAT, the greatest of all time label. And we throw words around like that very easily, but Christ is truly the greatest of all time. Not at a sport, not even at preaching. Christ is just the greatest. He's the greatest person who has ever lived. He's the most perfect human. He is the epitome of the perfect man. Jesus Christ is the only one of us who never failed to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He never failed to love his neighbor as himself. He never sinned. He never had a selfish thought. He never went his own way. He always went the Lord's way. Jesus truly is great in both his human and divine natures. And we need them both. We need this God-man, this union. Um, two natures in one person. This is our saving God, our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is a king who is appointed. It continues in verse 32 saying, The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And this is in fulfillment of the promise to David that we read earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 7 where it speaks about God setting one of David's descendants on the throne who will reign forever. And there was a particular application to David, but this is most truly typified and fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it says in verses 12 to 14 of 2 Samuel 7, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And this is prophesied throughout the Old Testament, that the Messiah would be the son of David, would be a king like David. And so truly, Christ is the fulfillment of this kingly office. Just as we know, the Old Testament priests continued for a time until Christ the last, the greatest, the high, final priest would come, so also Christ is the last, final, greatest king, the king above all kings, the king to whom all other kings pointed. But he didn't even arise in his greatness, in his divinity. He didn't arise and take this throne himself. He didn't usurp it, but our text says, the Lord God will give to him the throne of David. This throne is what God bestows upon Christ as the honor and reward for Christ's perfect obedience, his humiliation, his incarnation, his agreeing to ransom a people. God gives Christ a throne from which to rule. But he doesn't just give him a throne from which to rule. He gives him a people to rule over. It continues in verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. Forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus is an eternally reigning king, reigning over the house of Jacob. The house of Jacob is Old Testament language used to describe the people of God. And this describes the people of God in all ages. Indeed, the Apostle Paul uses a similar phrase to refer to the church. In Galatians 6.16, he calls the church the Israel of God. 
And Israel is the name given to Jacob the patriarch. Uh, The Jacob of God is the people of God in the new covenant, the church. We are the kingdom of priests that the Lord Jesus Christ reigns over. A people that have actually been given to the Lord. Um, I think this is pictured somewhat uh, yesterday. My younger brother got married. And he asked the girl's father for permission. And when he was standing at the front, Doug Codling, who was ministering the wedding, he said, who gives this woman to this man? And uh, Steve replied, her mother and I do. Uh, Corey, my brother, had shown himself to be approved and worthy. And the father was then pleased to give a bride away. And so it is with the church and Christ. The Lord has prepared us and gives us as a bride to Christ. He is the worthy bridegroom, the worthy king, who is given a people to reign and rule. In Psalm 2, verse 8, the father actually says to the son, Ask of me, ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your heritage and the ends of the earth as your possession. Christ's inheritance is going to be the nations. He has given all authority, we're told, in heaven and on earth, and is exercising that authority from his throne in heaven, as it says in Ephesians 1.22, that God has put all things under his feet and given him as head over all things to the church, to his people, who he graciously rules, governs, and leads. And he is indeed gathering his church from the four corners of the earth to be a holy people. A commentator, John Gill, reminds us that the Messiah's throne and kingdom is not of this world, but is in his church and is set up in the hearts of his people where he reigns by his spirit and grace. And so we see this amazing prophecy, this declaration from this messenger of God. And just imagine Mary sitting there hearing these words. And I'm not sure if she understood the significance of them then or later, but I'm sure at some point this message would have clicked in her mind and she would have thought of that great messianic prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, which is echoed so much in this message from the angel, where it says in these well-known words, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is our king. This is the one announced by this angel, that the king has come, and he is going to reign. He's going to have a throne. But he's not just going to reign now. He is indeed going to reign forever and ever. As we sang, Jesus will reign where'er the sun. His kingdom's going to stretch from shore to shore, Till till moons shall wax and wane no more. Indeed, our text has declared to us today that Jesus is a saving king. 
Jesus is a great divine king and an appointed and eternally reigning king. In the rest of our time together, we're going to look at a few applications, a few points of application of what it means for us to be subjects of this king, what it means for us to live in light of Christ reigning on the throne. First point of application is that understanding the king's care gives us peace and comfort. Because you see, Jesus is not like many kings of this earth. He's not a self-serving, tyrannical king, but a good shepherd king who guides and gently leads and feeds his people. There's a beautiful prophecy about this in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 23 and 24, where it reads, God saying, I will rescue my flock, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. This is after David's earthly reign. This is a prophecy of Christ, the true David, the shepherd king, the shepherd over the people, the prince among the people. And a good king takes care of his subjects like a shepherd takes care of the sheep to protect them and to provide for them, to take care of them, to make sure all their needs are met. And truly in Christ, We need not worry about our temporal needs, for our Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and Jesus, our good shepherd, will care for us. He will also protect us from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we can hear his words saying to us like he said to his disciples in Luke 12, 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We need not be anxious. We need not fear when our good shepherd king is on the throne. And so entrust yourself to his care. Depend on him entirely. Trust in him. Cast your cares on him knowing that he cares for you. He is good. He has all power and authority. Second, the king's law gives us guidance and direction. A couple chapters later in Ezekiel, there's a similar prophecy in Ezekiel 37, 24, Where God says, my servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. And a good king will also make good and just laws. And now, I'm sure many of us have at times in our life been frustrated by seemingly silly or ridiculous rules that maybe our parents have implemented. I know um, this person is not going to listen to this, but I know someone who did not let his children um, have salad dressing or any sort of condiment. And this seemed ridiculous to them. We can't have salad dressing. The girls would try to sneak in a little bit of salad dressing, hoping he wouldn't notice. And they convinced their dad to allow them, them ketchup on their birthdays. So... People often, though, think about God's laws in similar ways, that God's rules are silly or arbitrary or ridiculous or not relevant in modern society. But this is not the case. God's laws are given to us for our good, for our protection, for our flourishing. His commandments are not burdensome. It's not legalistic to follow God's rules. When you think about it, he just simply gave us ten 
10 laws, 10 laws that apply to all areas of life. And we consider we live in a nation with thousands upon thousands of the most minute, minuscule rules on the law, law books. God's law is not burdensome. God's law is freeing. Truly, holiness is the way to happiness, and obedience is the path to joy. And we forsake God's law to our own detriment. Uh, we've seen many lives ruined as people seek to walk their own course, to set their own law apart from Christ. But we should respond like David, oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation day and night. It's sweeter than honey, more precious than gold. And because our king is the perfect lawgiver, we want to submit ourselves to his rule, to obey him, to flee sinful rebellion, to mortify these deeds of the flesh that rise up against our king's perfect law. And lastly, not only does the king's care give us comfort and the king's law give us direction, but the king's mission gives us hope and motivation. Our shepherd king not only cares for us, his sheep, but he goes and seeks the lost sheep. He leaves the 99 to go find the one. He says in John 10, 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, not of this flock. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And how do these sheep hear Christ's voice? But as we've been seeing and was preached in Romans 10 a few weeks back, it's through the word of God. The word of God preached, the word of God read, the word of God shared with a friend. The sheep will hear his voice and come. And really, this is our spiritual warfare. We're all enlisted in the king's army, and we're called to go out armed with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to declare to the nations the goodness of our king, the glories of of his kingdom. And this is a high calling. It's not about us sitting here happily on a Sunday morning, enjoying the bounty of our king, but we want to go and compel them to come in, to say, come, eat with us, feast with us, come buy wine and milk without money, without price, because you're spending yourselves for that which does not satisfy. But come, we know where the bounty is. Like those three beggars that left the city to find a glorious spread of the enemy's spoils and went back to call everyone else to come and share what we have found with our good king. And so our king is the God of salvation. We want to devote ourselves to his mission, speaking his truth, displaying his love to this world. Our heartbeat should be the beginning of the Lord's prayer that his name would be hallowed, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done, until his dominion extends from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. And if you've never sworn allegiance to this king, don't harden your heart against him today. Confess Christ as Lord and king. Turn from your rebellion. Lay down your arms, your sins. Surrender to Christ and come into his kingdom. He is a good king, willing to receive all who would cross his borders. They are open. Salvation is available to all. Depend upon Christ for your righteousness and salvation. And come, join us, and see the goodness and greatness of Christ, our King. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this kingdom, and we thank you for this King. This King that did not come to be served, but to serve, 
and lay down his life to ransom a people for God from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we thank you and look forward to the day when his kingdom will be all in all, when we will be gathered together with our brothers and sisters around the throne of God, praising the lamb who was slain, praising our king, and delighting forever in the bountiful goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask all these things. Amen.